You get to pick the sermon title today. You can either call it Walking Tips or How to Be a Great Dad. Your choice. This sermon title today. It didn't go over like I thought it was going to. Anyway. <laughs> what, is your, what was your dad kind of famous for saying? Did he have certain things that he would always say? My, my dad... About every 5,000 miles, even though we use synthetic oil now and we change our oil less frequently, about every 5,000 miles, I hear a voice in my head, Ken, the oil is the lifeblood of the engine. I hear that, I hear that little voice in my head. Uh, or did your dad say, they just don't make them like they used to? I'm telling you that. Or I, this is a favorite. I'm not sure my dad said these things, but dad say, maybe I did. Don't make me come back there. <laughs> Don't make me come back there. Were you raised in a barn? It's like, well, dad, you should know where I was raised. If somebody told you to jump off a cliff, would you do that? Dad stuff. Um, here's a favorite. Hopey, you'll enjoy this one. Dads that say, why would you pay money for jeans with holes in them? <laughs> I have four daughters, and all four of them have come home and rolled their eyes and said, Dad, don't ever say that to girls. Isn't that funny? Or, I'm, <laughs> am I your chauffeur? Am I your chauffeur? Um, take your elbows off the table. Hay is for horses. Um, are you going out dressed like that? That's a favorite, Yeah. I could go on and on. Here's a good one, though. Um, finish the sentence. With great privilege comes... You had a good dad, too. With great privilege comes great responsibility. And that lands us right in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Because in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, we have our privileges in Christ that are all laid out before us, and they're a done deal. They're, they're ours in Christ in chapters one through three. We mentioned that before. And in chapters four, five, and six, we have what? Our privileges and our... Yeah, today we're in the responsibility part. Just a great place to be on Father's Day, I think. Taking our responsibilities. Before I do, Neil, what you said, I, I could have written it myself. I mean, I couldn't have written it that well, but I agree with it so much. I want to add, I don't really need to, but I want to add to what he said. Let me speak directly to you that are men, and especially those of you that are fathers. I admire you so much. I'm so grateful for you. You're, you're men that are spiritual leaders in your family. I know you've made a lot of sacrifices. I know that you're happy to have made those sacrifices. I know that you work hard. I'm just repeating what you said, Neil. I just feel like I have to. We honor you here. We're grateful for you here. And um, I personally am so grateful for you. And um, only the Lord knows the influence that you've had. It's probably the nature of being a dad that people don't always talk about that or make a big thing about that. It's sort of expected. It, it, it's what, what we should do. And sometimes men really are bad examples and poor fathers and they make big mistakes and neglect their responsibilities and do unspeakably bad things. And that makes news. You know, that's always news. And that will always be 
Sometimes all of us have really made bad mistakes too and had to try to recover from those. But I did want to just tell you, we're so grateful for you. There's so much godly maleness in our church, men that I love, respect, admire, and look up to, and I just commend you. And you would teach your family, wouldn't you, that with great privilege comes great responsibility. Don't make me go on and on here. Yeah. With great, does that sound like a bad thing? With great privilege comes great responsibility. And so it is in our text today, it's going to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. And it's going to straightly command us to walk or to live in the light of all that God has done for us as believers. What we have now are what we call, what we call in, in, in the Koine Greek, the mood of the verb is imperative. You know what that means. These are orders. These are commands. These are not suggestions. They're commands from God. 700 times in the New Testament, God is called our Lord. Greek word often used, kurios, means Lord or master, the one who gives us commands and we obey them. And we have commands in the passage today. They're unvarnished commands. And Jesus, the king, has every right to demand of his subjects instant obedience. And this is what the passage is really about today. They're commands, they're demands. Came home from school once, and it was, I think, in the seventh grade, and we had moved, and I was going through a lot of difficulty, a lot of changes, and a lot of hardships at school, and I did very poorly. I slothful, I sinful, I selfish, on top of all those other things. And, and I brought my report cards home, and they were, they were awful. And I remember my dad, who is the world's greatest dad, so don't misunderstand me, I'm not going to malign my dad any day, especially on Father's Day. But my dad has a bit of a theatrical thing in him. If he wants you to learn something, he has a, a way of dramatizing it. And I brought those report card homes. I never forget. My mom looked at them and she says, you need to show those to your father. <laughs> like, go, go, just go, Kenny, please. And I, I took them over and I gave them to my dad. And my dad, like he has the thing he does, like he bites the inside of his cheek when He's really disturbed about something, or you should be grieved, you know. He's like, <laughs> and then he ceremoniously just tore them up. And I'm like, I'm supposed to take those back. He goes, You're gonna have to figure that out. This is just, you are not living up to your potential. You, that was like, this, that was the chorus of the song of my youth. You have such potential. And you are not living up to it. I have that little song playing in my head sometimes too. You have, you can do better than this. <laughs> There's a sense in which we should have a little sense of that today. That God says, would you look at what I've done for you? Now this is what I expect of you. This is what I demand of you. This is what I command from you. These are imperatives. This is a, and we have a whole list of them. I have a little video every one of you should probably watch. I, I stumbled on this video a few years ago. It's been helpful, life-changing for me. My doctor has statistics on this. And, and when I go to my doctor, he, he can affirm these things with statistics. He, 
Uh, this little video is called 24 and a half hours. 24 and a half hours. And in the video, the doctor says, you can do whatever you want, 24, I'm sorry, 23 and a half. My math is bad because I was like, I didn't apply myself in school. It's 23 and a half hours. And, 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 the, doctor, and the doctor in the video says, you can do whatever you want to do for 23 and a half hours. But for 30 minutes a day, if you do this thing I'm telling you to do, the health benefits are exponentially wonderful. And then he lists all these health benefits. He says, if you do this one thing for 30 minutes a day, these are all the health benefits you can expect. And you know that one thing is walking. Walking. He says, you don't have to swing your arms. You don't have to carry weights. You don't have to wear a vest. You just go out and you walk 15 minutes away from your house and then you turn around and come home. And if you do that a half an hour every day, it will change your life. And so that's my goal. I either ride my bike or I walk six days a week, 30 minutes a day, 15 minutes out, 15 minutes back or something like that. There's something to be said for this thing about walking. And I said that so that you would remember when we look in Ephesians in chapter 5 and verses 1 through 21 that we're going to look at today, you're going to notice that something's repeated three times and it's how to walk. It's how, to, how a Christian should walk or how a Christian should live or what a Christian should habitually look like. It's what the text says. And so while we read it, I want you to notice the places it talks about walking and how to walk. And you're going to notice there are three different ways to walk. They're very helpful. Remember this. This is a letter sent to people who live in the shadow of the temple to Artemis, who's a false god. All kinds of uh, ugly, uh, impure sexual practices are happening. All kinds of uh, spiritual infidelity is happening. All kinds of unbelief is happening all around. They live in the culture of this. And drop down in the middle of this culture is a small group of Jesus followers who receive a letter here inspired by the Holy Spirit from the Apostle Paul. And in the first three chapters say all the things that God has done for them. And then there are these specific instructions that are given, including these imperatives or these commands. And I'm reading from chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, it had just referred to the death of Christ, the work of Christ, and all that Christ has done. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children. And here's the first one. Walk in, say it out loud. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. I warned you it'd be stark language. Walk in, walk in, in love, in a dirty world. 
And the second one starts in verse 7 and goes to 14. Therefore, do not become partners with them. At one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And here's the next one. Walk as children of light. Walk in light. Walk in love. Walk in light. What's that mean? The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Light is what's good, right, true, and pleasing to the Lord. Verse 10, 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Walk in love in a dirty world. Walk in light. Can you guess? In a dark world. And there's a third one, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walk in wisdom. And we're going to see this is in a dangerous world. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. But be filled by the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord in your heart, and giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there you have it. Salvation is a free gift. Those of us who understand the gospel, this is the song we return to over and over again. We tell it wherever we go. Salvation is a free gift. But we want to remember this. When salvation happens, when a person receives the free gift of salvation and believes in Jesus, some things happen. And one of the things that happens is they are now possessed by the Holy Spirit, who is the king of the universe, who is God. You have God living in you if you're a believer. So who's going to make the decisions if God is living in you? He should be making the decisions. He should be the Lord. You don't tell him what to do. He tells you what to do. I, I met a nice lady. She said to me, I've walked away from God. Something bad happened to me. And I decided he's not for me. And, and she was a nice lady. And she's going to come back someday, I trust. But I reminded her, you are not the judge of God. God is the judge of you. You, he will not stand before you and say to you, how do you think I ran the world? You will stand before him and give an account for what you did in your life. And the only hope you have is the mercy of Jesus on you. And uh, lest you think it was an ugly exchange, I, I think she would say we're friends. And she was on my heart this morning to pray for her. Maybe you could pray for her too. That she would, she'd been hurt and sad and disappointed and... Uh, Hopefully, she'll make her way back to God instead of away from God. And hopefully, you will too. These are things in our world that our world is saturated with sexual immorality, sexual impurity, sexual innuendo. The passage says sexual idolatry, covetousness, which is idolatry. Let's look at that more carefully and realize these are things that should be no part of a Christian's life. No part. No sexual immorality. It's very clear. Here they are living in. It's interesting, isn't it, that. This reads so much like 
our beloved modern America, which has had so many rich spiritual privileges and so many revivals that have swept across this land and so many churches and so many Christian institutions and so many Christian leaders and so much Christianity that's woven into the very foundations of our American culture and governance. And we're, it's like we've turned and we're running away as fast as we can and we're being flooded by immorality. It's so obvious. I know people are concerned about Christian nationalism. I suppose that's a legitimate concern. The Bible talks a lot more about being completely drowned in a flood of immorality. The Bible warns about us walking away from things that God says, like embracing murder or embracing perversion or or being engaged in immorality. Certainly there are a variety of ways that we can go off the rails, but when we're looking at this passage, what it's talking about is don't be a part of the immorality that's around you. Let's just read it again. And here, and in appealing to the death of Jesus, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself for us, an offering that's pleasing to the Lord, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then it, so then it contrasts, you have this beautiful fragrance of the sacrifice of Jesus to God, and then you have the filthy immorality around us. Don't even have anything to do with that, but imitate God. Then it says sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness, probably sexual covetousness, as, as when the law is expressed, not to covet your neighbor's wife, etc. Let it not be named among you as is proper among saints. And our culture has a human, has a entertainment industry. This is a major plank in the platform of the entertainment industry is his filthiness. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And no matter what the popular uh, progressive Christians say, this is still in the Bible. They're wrong and the Holy Spirit is right. And you should flee that. This is what, this is what we're told. You may be sure of this. This is stark language. You may be sure of this. Verse 5. Everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetousness, as, or that's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. People often say, well, I'm not going to go to hell for that. I'm not going to go to hell for that. I'm not going to go to hell for that. Because they've, they've got a kind of a cheapened gospel that they got inoculated from the truth with a little bit of a kind of a gospel-ish error. And so they're saying, I'm not going to go to hell for this. But like the Bible says, yes, you will go to hell for that. Yes, sin takes people to hell. And so this is a serious thing that we, we don't want to change this. We don't have the right to change this. But just to sit under it and hear it, this is not a problem just with people who say they're unbelievers. Like, you know that this is a problem with believers and Christian leaders. This strong, sobering language. No inheritance in the kingdom of God. For these things, the Bible says here in this text, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience. In, in another passage in 1 Thessalonians talking about fornication, Paul says, God is the avenger of all such. The strongest language in the Bible is used to warn us about sexual sin. I heard a pastor say, 
This may be true that all of us are sexual sinners, but flee to the cross and ask for the cleansing from God and do not defend your temptations or your indulgences in sin. Don't defend them. Don't excuse them. Don't continue in them. Don't talk about them. Repent. Turn from them. Don't endorse them. Don't, don't, there's nothing to be proud of. Not something that we parade and we're proud of. It's something we should be grieved by. Read the Bible. The Bible is plain about this. And I have a pastor friend who's a very wise pastor, uh, Bob McNeil. And I ask him, among other pastors, to send me pastor tips because I'm trying to write a book on pastor tips. It's, the working title is Old Pastor Tips. So guys are a little reluctant. To, they'll, they'll all say, I'm not old, but here's a tip. One of the things that Bob is a sharp guy, and he's a straight shooter. He's a prophetic kind of a preacher. He said, Ken, don't preach to the people about the sins of the world. Preach to the people about their sins. Because he said, if you people are shouting amen whenever you preach against sin, you're probably not preaching about the right sins. When they get quiet, then you know you're on the right track. And so I hear that. And uh, this strong, sobering language is used so we're often overwhelmed by, with discouragement by the endorsement and the rampant practice of immorality around us. You know, drag queens at the library, legalization of same-sex marriage, the fast erosion of cherished values, the profaning of our rich national heritage. And we should rightfully be concerned about these things. But in the light of our spiritual riches, they should not overwhelm us. We can walk in the light in a dark dirty world. We're given that. I know a lady who often, who like people often do, though she was a Christian girl, she did not marry well. And as a result, she found herself in a marriage where she was abused and abandoned, and her husband not only mistreated her, but he was immoral. She was a victim of divorce. This lady got on her knees before God and devoted herself to God and determined, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. She had two little girls. And she determined that she would raise her girls alone for Christ. And so the three of them, they walked in love. And they walked in the light. And they walked in wisdom. And they walked in love for many years. Both daughters now have married in the faith. All of them continue to walk in love to this day. And now there are believing grandchildren. This is what God is saying. You live in the midst of a dirty world. Here's what you do. You walk in love. You walk in love. What should we do? When we find ourselves in, in the midst of an increasingly filthy world, filled with unimaginable forms of immorality and impurity and idolatry, what should we do when we're discouraged by it? What should we do when we're tempted to indulge in it? And when Christians don't follow their own rules, even sometimes pastors don't, there's a way available to us. It's a way of escape. It's a strategy for our time. And it is simply given to us in this beautiful way. Walk in love. Show them the difference. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can walk in the light. And if we do that, or walk in love. And if we do that, we'll also walk in the light. And that brings us to verses 7 through 14. You must walk in love in a dirty world. 
You must walk in love in a dirty world, and you must walk in the light in a dark world. Now, this is a life of continually doing what's good and right and true because walking in the light is defined in the text right here. What it means in this text is defined in this text. What's good and right and true, in verse 9 it says that, and what pleases the Lord, that is walking in the light. That's what it means. How do you expose darkness? It says don't have anything to do with unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. And, and what I think when I hear that is there's a guy on the street corner and he's going, you wicked people, you know. He's pointing people and he's exposing, he's a prophetic voice. Well, there is a place for a prophetic voice. And Christians shouldn't, shouldn't be afraid to say God's law before people get saved. Sometimes they have to have what Spurgeon called the 10 canons of the law pointed at them before they realize they need to be saved. They need to realize that they're condemned. But this passage doesn't say that. This passage is appealing to something different. You notice there's nothing in this passage about the prophetic voice, even though there are other passages about having a prophetic voice. If we ask, here's the, the question that we ask about this text is, how do you expose the works of darkness according to this text? What does it say? Let's look at it. Let's read it and see if it comes out to us as we read it again. Therefore, don't become partakers with them. For one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true and try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. When you do what's good and right and true and pleasing to the Lord, then you're shining the light and it's the light that exposes the darkness. It's a contrast. It's showing them what it looks like. Take no part, verse 11, in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. And then it gets specific. For it's shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. You see the simplicity of the logic of that? So over here you have somebody who is, who is actively working, I, I kind of soften this language a little bit, to merchandise baby parts. Literally chomping salad and chatting about selling baby parts. This is unspeakable evil. It's unspeakable darkness. Anybody with any moral sense knows a baby should be protected. What do we do about that? Well, there are a lot of things we could do. But what he's saying here, the first thing we do is we love babies. We welcome babies. We cherish babies. We see babies as a gift from God. We adopt babies. We welcome babies. We pray for babies. Christians love babies. Take your Bible and show me otherwise. That's how we expose the works of darkness. You don't cherish babies, we do. This is the way it should be. We, we, we expose darkness with light. There's a place for rebuke and prophetic voice. But this passage is teaching the best way to expose this oppressive, unspeakable darkness is to shine our light, to repeatedly shine our light walking, get it? By doing what's good and right and true and doing what's pleasing to the Lord. The world around us does not protect unborn children. We welcome them and we cherish them. The world perverts marriage. We practice and attend to Christian marriage. The world is filled with impure, hateful, dishonest speech. Christians should speak in a pure, loving, truthful, edifying way with living words. Not The world attacks, we love. 
even our enemies. That's the Christian way. That's what this passage is saying. Isn't that beautiful? That's so beautiful. In a dark world, we can be the light. You can be the light on your block. The, the man who doesn't make fun of his wife, mock his wife, or denigrate his wife, the, the wife who doesn't despise or, or, or uh, be disrespectful to her husband, but she's loving, kind, respectful, and appreciative of him. The world attacks we love, even our enemies, and we discern what's pleasing to the Lord. You heard the Latin term quorum Deo, in the, in the presence of God. In history, in Christian history, Christians have adopted this Latin phrase to, to remind themselves that we do all that we do in the presence of God. We're aware that God is watching us. Francis Chan was going to preach at a Bible conference once, and he realized that a woman named Noelle Piper was, was going to be speaking in the same conference. And he thought, he said to his wife, oh my goodness, if Noelle Piper is going to be there, that means her husband, John Piper, is going to be listening to me preach. And John Piper's a well-known pastor. And so Francis Chan said to his wife, now I'm a little bit nervous because John Piper's going to be there and he's going to be listening to everything I say. And you know how wives are. They remind you of important things. She said, you know, God listens to everything you say always. <laughs> Aren't you glad when you get a girl in your life to keep you kind of grounded like that? This is what Christians should remember. God sees everything we do. He knows everything we do. If he commands us to walk in the light, he also holds us accountable to do that, and he knows when we're not. We want to remember that we must walk in the light because we live in the presence of God. The third thing is walk in wisdom in a dangerous world. My, we do live in a dangerous world. Listen to what it says again. Let's just read it again. Look carefully how you walk. Not as wise, unwise, but wise. By the way, can I just remind you, in our culture, there are many brilliant, brilliant, smart, high intelligence people who are fools. They've rejected God. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. And they're teaching our young people. No, no. Thanks be unto God. There are many Christians in our school system who love Jesus and teach truth and they're valiantly standing for truth and they're sacrificing and suffering because of it. We thank God for them. They're salt and the light. But in many of the places in our land, there are people who are enemies of the faith and they are eroding the faith as actively as they can of our, our young people. And they're considered really bright and they are bright, but they're fools. It's possible to be smart, but to be a fool to reject God. And so it's important that we not only are as intelligent as we possibly can be, but we're also wise in our application of things that are true. Look carefully how you should walk, not as wise, unwise, but wise, making the best use of your time. The days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. You might look at that and think, what did, that what did that wine thing get dropped in there? Why is that dropped in there? It seems almost out of place. This is God's word, so we know it's not out of place. Why the wine thing and all this kind of lofty thing? Why is the don't get drunk with wine dropped in there? And for this, we would want to understand the culture that it's written into is a culture that sees sexual immorality as a spiritual virtue and drunkenness as a way of spiritual ecstasy. 
And so the gods Bacchus and Dionysus, the people would intentionally get drunk in order to have spiritual ecstasy because they were looking for something that they couldn't find. And so they would try immorality and they would try drunkenness. And the Bible thoroughly and frequently condemns all drunkenness. May I, can I just say this as a, as an, I'm an old guy now, so I can talk like an old pastor. So here I go on my, I'm a dad, old pastor guy. So you get two barrels today. And, and that's this. I know what you're saying. You're saying, I drink, but I don't get drunk. And I'm like, okay, I hear you. I, do you and, and then I hear some people say, sometimes I do get buzzed, but I don't get drunk. And I just want to warn you. Don't, you know, that we all do that with our sin. We, we rename it to soften it, but it's not less likely that our reaction time slows down and we can't get the car stopped in time or the police officer doesn't call us buzzed, but calls us drunk. And, and I think more importantly, we live before the Lord. So be careful that in what freedom you feel like you have, you don't sin against God and then fall into folly. Can I just say, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Be wise. Don't be foolish. That's what it's saying. And don't look for spiritual ecstasy in drugs or alcohol, but walk in the spirit. And then immediately he's going to tell you the simple and beautiful way to walk in the spirit is, well, you sing. <laughs> you, you address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And you sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. That's how you usher in the spirit fullness. And you give thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't overindulge in singing. Amen, John? Am I right about this? No, you cannot. You can't overindulge in singing. You can't, you can't, you say, I don't want to hear you sing that much. I understand. You can't overindulge in singing. You can't overindulge in thanksgiving. Indulge in those things. And submitting, and submitting to one another in reverence for Christ. Isn't it interesting? And then it goes into a big long list of husbands submitting to their wives wives submitting to their husbands. You, you can read it there. It's in there. It's like, oh, it doesn't say submit, does it? It says, it doesn't say, you don't have to, I forget. Guys, don't worry about submitting. Just die for her. <laughs> Lois, I, uh, I got to tell you, Lois sent me a little, <laughs> she sent me a little clip. I don't know why she sent this to me. She sent me a little clip of those little internet things. There's a comedian woman. And the comedian woman is saying, my husband, when I, met, when I met him, I was really cute and I wore cute things and he vacuumed my car. She said, we've been married 30 years and I don't think he would save me out of burning wreck now. I said, do you need saved out of a burning wreck or do you need your car vacuumed or what? what's up? Like, what, why did you send me that? I'm like, I'm still kind of wondering about that. I'm feeling a little insecure about that, so... Two or three times a day, I'm like, did you need your car vacuumed? Because <laughs> I want to make sure that, you know, she feels loved and cherished, and I want to be wise and, and good. So minefield of danger out there. And these are the ways we keep safe by being wise and walking in the Spirit. Isn't that sweet? There's an old movie called The Witness with Harrison Ford. And he's in a Philadelphia police department, and he, he is privy to corruption within the department. And there's this little Amish boy that witnessed a murder. And so now Harrison Ford is among the Amish, hiding among the Amish. And they come after him, and the bad guys die in the... You don't have to watch this movie because I'm telling you most everything. They die 
in the grain elevator. And then he has to decide if he stays with the girl or if he goes back to Philadelphia. And at the end of the movie, I really am going to ruin this for you. He decides to go back to Philadelphia. His name is John Book. At the end of the movie, he's getting ready to drive away in his little, uh, his little blue VW. And the father says to him, John Book, you be careful out there among the English now. <laughs> Our kids were growing up and they would leave. We'd go, be careful out there among the English. We also warned them about deacons' kids as well. That's very dangerous when pastors' kids. Anyway, I would just say to you, Paul has said, it is, the dangers out there are real and they're serious and they're deadly and you need to walk in wisdom or there will be great damage. We walk in this way, our whole life is fragrant before God. Notice at the very beginning, it says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And then it ends with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In all of this, if we want to walk in love and if we want to walk in the light and we want to walk in wisdom and you're having trouble losing your way, keep Christ in mind and imitate him. Don't talk to your wife in a way that Jesus wouldn't want you to talk to her. Don't tell a story Jesus wouldn't tell. Don't indulge in something Jesus wouldn't indulge in. That would be a good guide. It would keep pressing you into Christ. So with great privilege comes great responsibility. In this case, there's something probably a little bit more. And I love to think about this. If this is true, that Christ demands this of us, the tone of it is imperative. It's not a suggestion. But if I read between the lines what I see is, oh, then, this kind of life is possible for me? I can walk in love even though the world around me is exploding with impurity? I can walk in the light even though I keep feeling like I'm getting sucked into darkness? I can walk in wisdom even though sometimes I'm the most foolish of men? Yes, you can. You can walk in love in a dirty world. You can walk in the light in a dark world. You can walk in wisdom in a dangerous world. And he takes away our excuses, doesn't he? You can't say, I can't because, you know, I've been mistreated. No, you, you can, even if you've been mistreated. It, all my temptations are just too strong. No, there's no temptation taking you such a common demand. There's a way of escape. You can walk in. Don't say, because you were hurt, you can't walk in the light. Yes, you can. God is God. His word is true, and you can walk in the light. Don't say, well, for me, there's just too much pressure on me. There's no more pressure on you than was probably on those dear Ephesians that were living in the shadow of the temple of Artemis among the drunks, the Roman and Greek drunks of the time. Yes, you can. So this week, I want to tell you thank you. You're so good to us. I, I get vacations um, that I get paid for. I get paid, paid vacations. Thank you for that. You probably knew that. I'm 
I'm so grateful. Every once in a while I get to go, Lois and I get to go fly and see the grandkids and thank you for that. And then when I came here, I was also given two additional weeks to go and minister elsewhere. I really love being here a lot and, and hate to leave. But I also get to go to speak like at camps. I'll do a couple this year. And this week will be one of those. And so here's what I'm going to do this week. And I'm going to leave tomorrow and I'm going to go up north and the kids are going to gather. They're like the age of my grandkids now. It used to be the age of my kids, but now my kids have kids and kids are the age of my grandkids now. And I'm going to tell them the Jesus way. I'm going to tell them the Jesus stories. I'm going to teach them to tell the Jesus stories to others. In, a, in the evening, it'll be cool, and they'll probably build fires, and the kids' tummies will be full, and they'll be tired from running around and having fun. There'll be boys and girls, and that's always interesting. They'll have counselors that listen to their stories and pray with them at night. And I get to tell them the Jesus stories. That's what I'm going to do this week. Some of the, I'm going to tell them the stories. Of, I'm literally, I'm going to tell them seven stories of hope, seven stories about Jesus. I'm going to tell them stories about what to do when you sin, what to do when you doubt, a story about what to do when you're disillusioned with religion. I'm going to tell them a story about what to do when you feel ashamed. I'm going to tell them a story about what to do when you fear death or somebody hurts you. I'm just going to go and I'm going to tell those kids the Jesus stories. Wouldn't it be fun if we just did the same thing this week and you found somebody who was disillusioned or hurt or sad or ashamed or scared and you told them the Jesus story? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you got invited to camp and they're going to line them up for you. I'm no, that's easier. But if you're ready to tell the story, you could tell the Lord, Jesus, I'm here to serve you. Just like Ken's going up north, I'm going wherever you send me. If you give me a conversation, I will step through the door of conversation. I'll walk the Jesus way this week. I will follow Jesus and I'll find someone to help follow Jesus. I'll pray for them. I'll love them. I'll invite them to church. I'll listen to them. I'll tell them one of the Jesus stories. Hey, listen, folks, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Brother, come and bless us. Stand with, you. Stand with us. We have counselors here to help you. We'll be happy to help you if you need to know the Lord. If you need somebody to pray with you, Jim Dingman's going to bless us before we go. Listen carefully.